You know, gathering as the Christ Journey family is a privilege and a blessing that I love. And wherever you're making your connection with us today, across the nation, around the world, literally, or right here in South Florida, we are praying God's blessing for you as we begin a brand new series today. Now, did you know I have a bromance? I mean, I have always loved the Hebrew prophet Elijah. He's like a superhero of the Old Testament, like uh, that mysterious cowboy that rides into town and, and uh, from who knows where and then cleans up the, the crooked sheriff and the corrupt officials. And then when time comes for him to make his exit, the waters literally part on the stream and a, a chariot of flame swings down from heaven drawn by horses of fire and takes him up and out in a whirlwind. Man, that's cool, right? That's superhero stuff. And speaking of cowboys, there's even a showdown. I mean, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel at high noon. And as he purges the land of their contamination, he challenges the people. How long are you gonna ride the fence? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And then he calls down fire from heaven and shows that Yahweh God is the true God and the drought ends and the land begins to bear fruit again. It's so cool. I mean, and his name is cool too. A mashup of the two most powerful names of God in the Old Testament, Elohim, God Almighty, and Yahweh, the covenant-making God. El is Yah, a statement of faith. It means the Lord is God. But that's 1 Kings 18. We pick up the story in 1 Kings 19 today. And what we find there makes me respect Elijah all the more. You know, the Bible tells people stories raw and real, not airbrushed, not glamorized. In chapter 19, we see a side of Elijah that wasn't publicly known. His struggle with emotional discouragement and spiritual depression his tendency to overrate his own abilities to cope with life's challenges. And uh, his journey, we could say, into the emotional wilderness. Our series is now what? When life leaves you stranded. And we're gonna see Elijah stranded in an emotional wilderness after this crazy roller coaster ride of emotions. You've been on roller coaster, right? You like them? I mean, such a thrill. But how about the roller coaster of emotions? In chapter 18, Elijah is on the pinnacle of success, the mountaintop of victory. In chapter 19, he's in the pit of despair, the valley of defeat. In chapter 18, he's riding high. In chapter 19, he's running low. He's been on the roller coaster. And you've been there. Maybe you've been on literal roller coasters. I mean, Disney Space Mountain or, you know, Universal's Hulk. It's like, wow, this is so cool. And yet when you are on the roller coaster of emotional highs and lows, it can leave you feeling very vulnerable. That's Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Elijah in a time of extreme emotional vulnerability. Verse one, now Ahab told Jezebel, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like 
one of theirs. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and he ran. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there and uh, he himself went a day's journey on into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, a little background. Ahab is a wicked king, Jezebel, his villainous queen, who brought immorality, the immorality of Baal worship, into Israel. And after Elijah's showdown with the false prophets of the fertility cult of Baal and Asherah, now Jezebel reacts by putting a hit out on Elijah. She says, you killed all my prophets. By tomorrow this time, I'm going to kill you. It's payback. She issues an order for execution. And so Elijah runs. First, about 100 miles away, all the way to Beersheba in the desert. That, If you were to see a map of Judah, that's as far south in Judah as you can go. But it wasn't far enough for Elijah. It says he got to Beersheba, he left his servant there, and then went on another day's journey into the desert, into the wilderness. In other words, from the end of civilization, he's now gone off the map. He's way beyond the paved road now. And when he, when he finally plays out, he crawls under a scrubby tree and uh, in a time of dark depression, asks God to take him out. He's scared. He's depressed. He's exhausted. He wants to die. Wait a minute, what happened to our superhero? What happened to his clarity of vision and his strength of character? Now he's confused. I mean, he's a picture of fear and failure and fatigue and, and futility. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He's full of self-doubt. He's full of self-pity. He's emotionally depleted, and he is physically drained. Mountains can do that to you. Mountaintop, spiritual Battle and victory can do that to you. And all of these are signs of burnout. Depression, somebody has called the most the, the common cold of our day. Everybody, sooner or later, it touches everybody, even God's people. Have you ever felt trapped? Like everybody's against you, like nobody understands and, and you really can't see a way out. Well, then you know what Elijah is feeling right now. He has slammed into the boundaries of his personal, his emotional, and his physical limits. And uh, after a great high, tremendous high of spiritual success, he has catapulted down into a pathetic low. And he's ready to give up. And he's in such pain that he even asked God to kill him. By the way, Ending your life doesn't stop the pain. It just, it just passes it on to someone else. The story shows us that though Elijah may feel like he's done, that God isn't done with Elijah. Not yet. And even though there's no instant cure for him, the great physician offers a treatment in four parts for his beloved servant. And I think God wants me to tell you that there is healing here for you as well. Part one, how do you receive it? 
replenish. Replenish. Pick it up in verse five. He lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And all at once, an angel of the Lord touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals. Don't you love the smell of fresh hot bread coming out of the oven? He woke up to that. A jar of water was right there too. He ate, he drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, drank, strengthened by the food. Then he traveled 40 days and 40 nights and took a long walk until he reached Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, did you see, did you notice the sources of replenishment here? Pretty simple, food, water, sleep, exercise. And God sent an angel to coach his servant, Elijah, to eat right, to hydrate, to get some rest, and then to take a long walk. The, so, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep or eat or drink or take a walk. You know, you can take a walk with your dog. You can jog around the block. You can swim a couple laps. You can get those endorphins moving. Elijah walked to Mount Horeb. That's the same mountain where Moses, it's, it's another name for Mount Sinai, where Moses met God. Now, you don't have to go to Mount Sinai to meet God, but if you're feeling blue, you can do these four things, right? You can sleep, you can eat, you can drink, you can exercise. What that is, is first step, replenish. But along with those do's, for today, we could also list some don'ts and at least one big one. Don't self medicate. Don't self-medicate through drugs, through alcohol, through pornography, through sugar. You know what I mean. Avoid, be careful to avoid the addictive behaviors that aren't good for you. Now, Elijah had no distillery, no poppy fields, no internet. You don't need them either. For replenishment, the point is don't do yourself wrong. A pastor friend told me one time that his doctor prescribed during his time of recovery from mental and emotional depletion, he, he prescribed four S's. He said, sand, sun, sleep, and sex. Now, of course, with his own wife. But the point is, get yourself in a place where you can treat yourself well, when you can do some good for yourself, where you can replenish, do some self-care. Second treatment. Release, verse four. In verse four, he's already opened his soul. That's where it began. But now in verse 10, scroll down a bit, he does it some more. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets. They have been putting your prophets to death by the sword. And now I'm the only one left and they're coming to kill me. He starts by letting all of that pit up anxiety and fear get out. He tells God how he feels. He voices his complaint. He shares his pain. You know what? You can do that. You can be honest about 
your emotions. As best you can, try to put your feelings into words. You know, Lord, I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. God, I've got a raw deal here. You know, uh, I've, uh, <clears throat> I've tried hard to serve you, but, um, but my marriage is suffering, my finances are lame, and my job stinks. Just get it off your chest. Vent your spleen. Spill your guts. Sing the blues. That's what Elijah's doing. And not only can God handle your anger, in the story, he's inviting Elijah to open up to him. Elijah, he calls him by name, Elijah. How'd you get here? What's going on? What are you doing here? And when Elijah tells him, did you notice this? The Lord God Almighty doesn't make him feel guilty about his feelings. Instead, he lets them get them all out, as raw and messy as they are. It's an emotional catharsis. What's the point? Talking out your feelings with a non-judgmental person who cares can help. God is that person, but we can find others who can help us too, can't we? Now, the text doesn't say it, that there were tears, but scripture shows that tears are a way to release with God. The psalmist says, God keeps our tears in a bottle. You know, some, some people collect baseball cards, some people collect knickknacks, whatever, but God collects our tears, scripture says. In fact, the New Testament tells us that even Jesus, God incarnate, wept the power of tears. Science has proven that tears purge stress from our system. I came across this in my study. For years, we've been taught, you know, big boys don't cry, but medical studies show that tears help rid the body of stress hormones and chemicals, stress chemicals. Crying also kills bacteria. One study shows that tears contain the bacteria killer lysozyme and its power to kill microorganisms is so strong that it even protects against anthrax contamination. Is that something? Another study showed that tears can elevate one's mood better than any antidepressant. The power of tears. So next time you feel tears coming on, it may not be a sign of weakness. It may be your body trying to show up strong for you and process some of that stress that you're, be, that you're, that you're facing. So do release, that's the do. But don't isolate. Now Elijah ran and then the story says he did it alone. He left his sidekick, they made the journey together, but then he left his servant in, uh, in Beersheba and ran on off into the desert alone. Why did he do that? I don't know. Why do you do it? Instead of letting other people in, we stuff our feelings and then we head off alone. Like Thoreau says, living lives of quiet desperation. Elijah's like a lone wolf and he's going off to die alone. Now, our border collie, Sadie, was amazing. Oh my goodness, her senses were so heightened. Her hearing, her sight, she could spot and, and, uh, and retrieve a ball from distance, incredible. And, and then her reactions were so tight and so quick, but as the time came for her to die, 
her senses waned toward the end of her life. She couldn't see like she used to. She couldn't hear. She couldn't respond as quickly. And so you know what she did? She would wander away from the house and I would get home in the evening and find that she's out in the neighborhood somewhere and I'd have to go get her and bring her back to the house. Talk to our vet about it. He said, you know, it's not unusual. It's the wolf in her. As she felt her time grow near, she didn't want to be a burden to the pack. So she would go off alone to die. Maybe Elijah was doing that, but he didn't have to. Don't isolate. Instead, communicate, stay connected. I was told years ago that it would be wise to have at least one friend who could serve as a lightning rod for emotional discharge as needed. And it was good advice. We can all benefit from having at least one lightning rod friend who cares about you, who prays for you, and who honors confidentiality. Replenish first. Don't self-medicate. Release next. Don't isolate. Third, remember. Remember who God is and remember how God is. Elijah enters the conversation with God and God says this, verse 11, go out and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by the mountain where Moses received the 10 commandments. That's Horeb, that's Sinai. And now God says he's going to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. I mean, he was the day on Mount Carmel, but not on this day. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, a whisper. God was in the whisper. You know, sometimes God makes spectacular supernatural visits, but not all the time. And in fact, not most times. Not even in the Bible, not most times. Most times God visits in the quiet sense of a prompting, of an idea, of a, an awareness of presence. And in the whisper, God helps us learn how to listen. We lean in and listen more closely. You know, sometimes people whisper so others won't hear. Sometimes people whisper so as not to be rude. Sometimes people whisper to invite closeness. A listening from the heart, like maybe you remember your mother when she's tucking you in at night, that final whisper. Or maybe a friend at the hospital or the cemetery who steps up close to you and says, I'm here for you. I love you. Maybe God whispers are only heard by those who are close to God and he's wanting to draw even closer. James 4, 8 says this, come near to God 
and he will come near to you. How can you hear God's whispers? Well, there's an insight right there. How can you remember who God is? Come near, come near, and then open his word, and then listen for the spirit from your heart. In Romans 8, Paul writes, verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit. Have you heard him whisper to you that you are God's child? Verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness and he intercedes with groans that, can't, that are too great for words. Words cannot express. Are you leaning close enough to hear the groans of God? Part of what we learn is that Elijah has not been listening. In chapter 18, he'd already been told that there were 100 preachers, at least 100 prophets that were hidden in caves. And yet three times from when he first got that information, after hearing it, he has said, I'm the only one left. Everybody's gone, it's only me. Now it may have felt like that to him, but it wasn't true. Factually, there were at least 100, and then God tells him here in verse 18 that he's got 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So in other words, you're not alone, but sometimes when you have left it all on the field, it sure feels like you are God's last hope. Elijah has been listening to himself. The idea's in his own head and that's boosting his own self-importance. Even after God visits him on the mountain, he replays the tape again. You know, I've been so zealous and your people have put altars up and they're killing the prophets and I'm the only one. He's listening to himself. But God wants him to listen up instead of in. Remember and listen. That's the do. What's the don't? Don't, over, don't overestimate your own self-importance. Don't overestimate the sound of your own voice that's playing in your head. Don't overrate your own abilities or capacities. You are human. Let yourself be. And then fourth, reconnect. God gives him a job to do. God tells him, now go home and help somebody else. In fact, three somebodies. Verse 15, go back the way you came and he, that was a long way back, right? But when you get there, I want you to anoint. God gives him three people to anoint in the story. Dr. Carl Menninger, the great psychiatrist, was asked on one occasion, suppose that you think you're heading for a nervous breakdown, what should you do? Now, maybe you'd think that he would say, see a psychiatrist, but he doesn't. You know what he said? He said, go straight to the front door turn the knob, cross the tracks, and find somebody who needs you. What's he saying? Don't incubate. Don't sit there stewing in your own self-pity. God is saying, Elijah, there's something for you to do. And he says, go back the way you came. Get back in the game. Get in the game. Go back the way you came. And he gives him a job. He wants him to anoint a new king. He wants him to go help somebody else. And you know what you discover when, that, when you join God in that work? That in helping others, you actually are helping yourself too. Discouragement, depression, and despair do not get the last word in Elijah's story. And they don't have to in yours, in mine, 
in our stories either. Actually, they can be on-ramps into God's tender affection, into his personal care, into a new day with a fresh anointing. That's where the story takes us. How, as we listen to his voice, as we receive his care, and as we recommit our lives to his service. Now, part of the bromance that I have with Elijah is that uh, this issue of burnout seems to be the recurring side B in the album of my life. Side A, work hard, live to God's glory. Side B, feel and deal with the disappointments, the discouragements, and those depressing moments. And I have struggled with melancholy swings in my biorhythms for all of my ministry. If you were to look at my personality profile, it would say achiever and artist or choleric and melancholy. And those get tangled up sometimes. And you put those together. And also my dad gave me this killer work ethic. So I'm like hand to the plow, nose to the stone. And I just do it to a fault. I will keep driving on and driving myself, not realizing my own depletion as I do it. Now, when my girls were at home, Lisa and the girls had color-coded my emotional status in life. They said, uh, you know, they would say they knew dad was having the blues, and, but then from there it could get worse. You know, they gave me a color code. They'd say, well, dad's looking yellow. Or, hey, dad's gone gray, which means like the color's pretty well gone. Speaking of my dad, one emotion that I remember from him clearly was his anger. It seems to be one that comes to my memory first when I think about my dad. But you know what I did with my dad's anger and coping with my dad's anger? Stuff it. Just deny it. Now, what I didn't know at that time is that if you stuff anger, it turns into depression. And then you go numb. So I guess what I'm saying is I recognize Elijah's wilderness because I make repeat visits there myself. But I've also discovered that my heart is safe with God. My hurts, my broken places, my, uh, my dysfunctional coping skills, my emotions are safe with God and so are yours. And God still sends angels. He still invites us to enjoy a good meal, to get a good night's rest, to take some time off, to replenish, to release, to, uh, to remember from the heart, and then to reconnect, to come closer and, and be one of God's whisper friends and then let him whisper comfort and direction to you. What is God whispering to you today? If you were to slow down and listen, would you hear him saying, I love you. I have a future for you. And would you let him heal your damaged emotions and restore the joy of your salvation? And I would recommend that you find in him, as I have, a safe place with a dangerous God. Could we pray together? Lord, thank you that you are 
the God of our highs and of our lows, that you are bigger than the emotional roller coasters we find ourselves on sometimes. And especially in those deep, dark, low moments that you care about us so tenderly. And so I'm praying for sisters and brothers today who just need a fresh drink from the fountain, from the well of salvation, who just need to hear you say, it's okay to rest, to eat, to sleep, to drink, and then to rise and face the challenge by my renewal within you. Would you receive God's renewing strength right now? Would you welcome the attendance of his angels in your life? Would you open your heart, lean into God, and let him whisper that you are his special child and that he's got you even in your weakest moment? Thank you, Lord, for the comfort of your spirit. And thank you that none of us have to go it alone. And I'm especially thinking now of somebody who may be tuning in, who may be listening, who is saying, God, if you can be that close to me, then I want to open my heart to you. Is that you? Then would you open your heart right now? Gracious Lord Jesus, come into my life. Bring the power of God's salvation and the comfort of your spirit to forgive my sins, to renew my spirit, to give me the joy of salvation. Forgive my sins, come into my life, and now lead me as I seek to follow you is my prayer in your name. Amen.